quality information should just not be the preserve of the elite. We threw away one of the most important negotiating levers. There is no time to waste. The future is in your hands. Make it bright. This is Westport on the digital revolution of the financial sector. The Warwick Economic Summit. The Warwick Economic Summit. Warwick Economic Summit. Hello and welcome to the WestPod, the podcast developed and delivered by the Warwick Economic Summit team. This week, we will be hearing from another panel from our summit in February. Today, we delve into the city and hear from industry-leading figures on the emergence of fintech and technology in the financial sector. The panel also discusses in great detail the impact of COVID and how the upcoming recovery will be influenced by new technology. The panel includes Bastian Nominaka, co-founder and co-CEO of Salonis, Henrik Johnson, co-head of capital markets and European investment banking at Deutsche Bank. Henrik is also one of the co-founders of WES 20 years ago. Corrado Passera, founder and CEO of Illimity. And the panel is chaired by Elisa Martinuzzi, financial columnist at Bloomberg. We hope you enjoy this fascinating insight into the state of the industry and the new technology shaping the future. Without further ado, here is the financial technology panel from WES 2021. I, you know, I think 2020 was, you know, an absolutely extraordinary year for the financial industry. It underwent, you know, its biggest trust test ever, as companies and households were running out of the cash. And so far, in part thanks to the interventions of policymakers and regulators, it has emerged largely unscathed. But we've got a health emergency and an economic crisis, along with record low interest rates and bond yields, which continue to challenge. The industries in ways not really seen before. And once government support measures cease, notwithstanding the progress that we're seeing in vaccine rollouts, it's really not clear to what degree companies and households will be able to keep up with their debt payments. Entire industries are being transformed and the repercussions are going to potentially rip through the entire financial industry. At the same time, though, you have digitalization, which is rapidly reshaping how we interact how we do business and how companies themselves are run, which is creating immense opportunities for disruption, but also for growth and for entrepreneurship. And debating this topic with me today, I'm really thrilled to introduce this panel, given it brings together you know, some of the leading executives across finance and technology, bringing different perspectives and, and, and broad perspectives to what we're trying to shed light on, on what lies ahead. So yeah, let me give you uh, my view. So uh, I fully agree. So that the banking industry, if we look at it, we currently see a rapid digitalization. This is what uh, we see uh, Stellonis across the globe and all our customers, uh, no matter what kind of uh, country they're operating in. And I think this is, especially with the COVID-19 environment, even more accelerated. And there's obviously disruptors moving in like PayPal, Apple Pay and others, where it becomes much more relevant if we're all uh, at home working from there. And there's even more requirement for such kind of services. I think this digitalization reaches all areas of the business. So from direct customer interactions in the credit business, 
stronger compliance and regulatory requirements. And of course, the background operations of the financial institutions have to face this also and handle this massive increase in business. So my name is Bastian Nomina. I'm co-CEO and co-founder of Celonis. What we at Celonis do is we offer the execution management software. So we use process mining and AI to analyze and reconstruct organizations' digital footprints based on their IT systems and make intelligent recommendations. So we provide a data analytics solution for common management and consulting problems. Our software called the EMS adds transparency into the operations and processes, and it can span all the areas in the banking from credit approval to customer care to regulatory reporting. Actually, that's one of the really fun things of doing this job is you see all the different parts. And um, with our software, we basically help the financial institutions like Citi, Kaisha, or Deutsche Bank to operate more effectively and really increase transparency in day-to-day -day interaction. And um, I think this data and process-driven analytics perspective in bank operations helps really reducing risk and effective and transparency, especially if you're not working all from one building, if you work in a home or office environment. So I think that's uh, more is now than ever the time and really looking forward to discuss today on the panel. My name is Corrado Passera and I am the father of five children. Uh, I'm now an entrepreneur after being the CEO of uh, several large uh, industrial and financial organizations. I'm Italian, I love my country, and I was honored to have served it as minister during the very difficult period of 2011-2013. Uh, I believe in uh, free enterprise, uh, but uh, I do believe that our capitalism, at least uh, the way we know it and we live it, uh, has to evolve and become more responsible without losing its energy. And the COVID crisis makes this evolution even more urgent. Henrik, I think you have joined us. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you've been doing. Yeah, maybe what distinguishes me is that uh, about 20 years ago, I was um, the uh, chair of the Economic Society at Warwick. And this whole summit uh, was, was sort of my idea back, back then as an undergraduate. And, uh, you know, I have to say from, from very modest beginnings, uh, at the time in, in 2001, now 20 years later, it's, it's really a privilege uh, to uh, be a, uh, allowed to appear on, um, on something like this with distinguished panelists. Uh, in terms of my uh, sort of day job, um, right now I'm a co-head of investment banking at Deutsche Bank, which is also the firm that I joined straight out of university, which uh, involves um, uh, all, all forms of capital raising and corporate finance in uh, EMEA. And uh, I think this is a fascinating topic, so I look forward to the debate. Excellent. Well, I think we can all agree that um, 2020 has accelerated the digitalization across industries, including financial services. And I thought, um, perhaps, Bastian, you can tell us a little bit about where you've seen the acceleration most, um, you know, whether it's interactions with customers that, that have really been transformed, or whether it's processes that have changed most. And, and how that's changing, you know, how the financial services is interacting. Yeah, I think the, the, the acceleration, and this is probably one common denominator, is really pervasive across, yeah, all the different kind of use cases. And it's not only like what we're seeing uh, with customers, with our partners, um, for a certain area or certain industry, because, um, yeah, obviously with everybody working from home and in a COVID environment, um, 
you need to adapt your business process. It's a big driver. And I had many, many conversations with my customers talking about them, how they planned projects who lasted for two to three years now in the course of like less than a half a year to really complete. So it's, it's really hard for me to pinpoint uh, in that regard. But um, I think particular challenge is everything which is yeah, was offline there, which required manual or personal interactions when new things had to be found to accelerate it. And I think it will also drive really that the consolidation because obviously you get massive scale effects around that. And that's what we're already seeing is the biggest player really benefit most from this trend. Uh, yes, you're right. <clears throat> consolidation is one possible strategy to react to the new scenario. Uh, the other one is specialization because uh, uh, the four forces uh, that are reshaping the banking industry for certainly are the digital, the new digital technologies, but uh, also the new entrants that are uh, really crowding the, uh, the, the traditional uh, banking environment, but also regulation and the monetary policies are really factors we have to take into account. Uh, we will have uh, new winners, we will have uh, new losers, and uh, for sure traditional incumbents will have to invest heavily uh, in innovation and probably only very large groups will be able to do it. That's why one route can be uh, uh, consolidation. Uh, most fintechs, uh, let me say something maybe uh, um, not so easy to say, but most fintechs and neobanks uh, uh, will not reach scale and will run the risk of becoming commodities very rapidly. Big techs, these are very important protagonists of the new world will occupy larger and larger uh, shares of services, especially those services that are based on data. So uh, our, my assumption, our assumption, uh, and a number of other entrepreneurs' assumption is that a new generation of totally new paradigm bank will be among the winners. But what, what, what are new paradigm banks? Are banks that have a business model totally designed around uh, the new world, no legacy, totally digital, but I would say also human touch, totally in cloud, fully modular, because you have to continuously integrate uh, fintechs, a new application. And uh, like any other enter enterprise, you have to develop uh, cost advantages that are sustainable. Um, you know, we've seen that financing markets have remained open, you know, in part thanks to the trillions that central banks have been injecting into the system. But where have you seen money flow to when it comes to the intersection between finance and technology? Well, I mean, the money flows, as you say, are, are immense. And um, I, I think probably the, the most recent theme, which, which we can see all over financial markets, is, is the amount of investment that's going into tech generally and, you know, fintech in, in particular. And, uh, you know, it's, it's led obviously to some extreme uh, valuations um, you know, and you know, very successful tech IPOs, uh, for example. But I think what's going on is actually a bit broader than that, because you know, what, what's happened is that since uh, everyone's working from home and people are having to adapt uh, their business models to this new reality, you know, we're seeing an acceleration of you know, fintech topics also within large organizations. You know, so, for example, at, at Deutsche Bank, you know, from one day to the next, uh, everyone had to start working from home. And you can tell that that's already leading to, you know, efficiencies, a lower carbon footprint due to the lack of travel. Um, so I think once we come out of this, things will not go back to normal. 
but the acceptance of, of digital uh, behaviors is going to be much higher across the board. But but is it fair to say that in terms of the public markets, we've seen a lot of that money go into digital payments? I mean, we've seen some of the biggest um, companies, some of the you know bigger payment providers really rallying quite strongly in the last year. And and do you see that continuing? Uh, absolutely. In fact, there's been consolidation in the sector as well. You know, with the uh, next CC, uh, next uh, merger that's going on uh, right now. But uh, payments is is only part of the story. But but clearly, you know, one of the behavioral changes, uh, I have an anecdote uh, for you, is that um, you know, the use of cash has drastically dropped, even in places like Italy, where cash was previously um, you know, sort of king. And so um, I think the, uh, the, the revolution is definitely in digital payments, but it's going on everywhere. It, it's pretty broad-based. So I wouldn't necessarily highlight digital payments as the only thing that public market investors are chasing. I wanted to come back to um, to Corrado for a second because you, you make the point that you know there is room for niche players. But what we have seen anecdotally certainly is some of the neo banks not doing as well um, through the pandemic in terms of customer acquisition because particularly depositors tend to flock to uh, businesses that they're most comfortable with. Do you see that as a hindrance in in, in starting a new bank as you have done? I think that funding, collecting deposits, it's uh, the 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 list of the problems i mean uh, the amount of money available the amount of uh, uh, zero yield deposits that uh, every country certainly our country but uh, all european countries have today make a collection of deposits uh, 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 very easy uh, we collect uh, in italy we collect in germany but let me say that uh, uh, the problem with uh, fintechs, but in general with banks, is uh, to have a very balanced uh, funding strategy. I mean, uh, 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 you cannot uh, rely on side deposit. Uh, uh, you have to have a very structured and balanced and low risk uh, uh, funding mix. Uh, and so you always have to combine uh, uh, corporate, institutional and retail uh, funding. Uh, you have to combine and you have to in my opinion, at least, uh, match maturities uh, and your lending activities have to be matched with uh, uh, deposits of more or less of the same duration. Let's not forget that uh, uh, the big troubles we all suffered uh, uh, at the end of uh, 2009 uh, were caused by this mismatch of durations. Two points that Eric made was, were very right. Uh, fintechs can find uh, their uh, uh, word to develop uh, also within large organizations, and uh, uh, they will be they, large organizations can be incubators of fintechs. But uh, real new paradigm banks are banks that have uh, uh, internally totally uh, new IT architectures that are uh, modular, in cloud, and not mainframe based. And uh, because uh, if you are a large organization, you can certainly, and you have to add uh, uh, fintechs, but if you don't change deeply structurally uh, uh, the way your IT systems are, uh, uh, are designed, uh, where it's very difficult to get to the level of cost income that uh, the, the, the new environment requires. So, so like, uh, I think what, what Corrado says is, is exactly right. I mean, uh, and it's a search for scale. 
So uh, if you think about what's happened in the payments industry, uh, it was originally mostly owned by, by banks in, in relatively small scale. And then uh, eventually the private equity industry came in and you know, started buying out you know, what banks were selling. And then what we've since then is a, a roll-up strategy you know, across Europe and across the world as you know, scale and entering different, um, uh, different markets allows you to you know, benchmark your products and, and do them across uh, different jurisdictions. So you know, it's really the same story as, as a lot of tech, which is you know, if you're doing it well, then you know, the best strategy is to keep acquiring your competitors and uh, try to build unassailable market positions. One thing that obviously is very important, and, and this is something which we feel keenly uh, at a big bank, although uh, again, payments is not my area directly, is the role of regulation. And you know, that's something which needs to be managed carefully. You know, we can all in, in sort of a blase way say, you know, nobody needs bank branches, but you know, that also leads to accessibility issues to people who um, you know, aren't as digitally savvy uh, it also leads to job losses, obviously, where there's a social element to that. So I think all of these things need to be managed um, you know, appropriately. And uh, you know, one thing that, that I'm sure regulators across the world are looking at is, you know, how do you uh, allow the innovation and growth to continue, which delivers great service, but without causing unnecessary risks? I wonder if I could bring in Bastian for a moment to look a little bit ahead now, sort of the short to medium term. You know, where do you see the biggest impact of digitalization in financial services? Yeah, uh, it's really hard to say <laughs> because it's it's multi-layered. Um, I think it will help us basically providing better experience in all the, the parts of, uh, yeah, from a traditional back office plumbing efficiency. So, um, for example, if you look at traditional KYC processes, um, they are still very, very complex, uh, take a lot of time and effort. And despite all the money and resources put into it, many banks struggle and we have issues with the regulators. Um, so so this is, um, know your customer, right, Bastian? Yeah, yeah, know your customer processes. So basically, if you ever signed up for a bank account or try to do it for a company, you will know how complex this is. And if you're multi-region, that they have literally hundreds or sometimes thousands of people working in these processes, and they are not very modern, and um, they are important because obviously there is uh, also like a regulatory aspect towards this and to handle that. So I think there's a big, big momentum there and it will also contribute, I think, towards the, the consolidation what we saw beforehand, because if you're a big bank, if you can do this really at scale, there's so much potential. And this is what I, for example, seen with my customers on the back office side. So there's cost scale to handle that and less regulatory fines and stuff like that. But obviously also the front end and the customer facing interactions I think you can completely transform <clears throat> the customer onboarding. And you already see this, like if you, for example, look at the, the, the neo banks or but also traditional banks adopting a totally new way of running business where in the past it may took like 10 days to get an account set up. Now this can be done in a matter of few hours and really handling that. And this differentiates because for example, in credit lending, if you do this, I think one of the key aspects what we see when our customers are successful is you need to provide a really good quality reaction time because it takes too long. Your customer already takes an offer from another bank and moves forward with financing the house with their offering because in the end, it's a commodity offering. You can only differentiate where the price and the service that you're offering. And obviously price is tricky, especially in a low margin environment that we're currently suffering with the low interest rates. 
So what kind of role do you see AI playing in finance, uh, both on sort of on the sort of the commercial lending side, but also, I guess, in, in asset management? One of our customers that's very successful is uh, Kaiser Bank in uh, Portugal, and they are suffering through COVID a much higher challenge to yeah, collect their uh, uh, loans, service them. And AI helps them tremendously to really prioritize, find out, also treat their customer with a much better service level. So it allows you to transform previously manual activity into that. So this is uh, a way. but. If you ask me, we are still scratching the surface where this can be applied. Many of the processes running in financial institutions are highly complex. And so far, there is a lot of still manual work applied there. So this is on the process side. Obviously, the biggest impact will be in trading, in making really machine-based decisions, which we already see in the market strongly, but especially for back office as well as front office professors, I see a lot of potential. And that's what we also are doing every day with our customers, really enhance the execution capacity. We've seen credit decisions relying too much on, on machine learning, leading to you know bias potentially in terms of who gets credit. I mean, what worries you most about AI in finance? And do you think regulators and governments are paying enough attention given the speed with which the developments take place? Artificial intelligence, uh, uh, like uh, consolidation, have um, different impacts uh, in different uh, uh, segments uh, uh, of, of the industry. Uh, for sure, uh, in um, uh, everyday finance, let's say plain vanilla kind of finance, uh, we will see uh, new players uh, and especially uh, uh, over the tops and, uh, and e-commerce people uh, practically uh, covering the market because they have all the data that are needed uh, <clears throat> to give credit. I mean, if you are Amazon and you know everything about your merchants, you know what they sell, when they sell it, how, to, where, well, how much they, they know, you know their prices, you know uh, how their inventories go. I mean, just with an algorithm, uh, uh, you can get uh, uh, also, you can give them also uh, uh, loans credit. Uh, in specialty finance, uh, in uh, uh, managing UTPs, for example, that are uh, difficult uh, credit situations, uh, that is totally different. So I would really subdivide the word in uh, retail, corporate, uh, everyday finance and, uh, and, and, and specialty finance. I, I read a recent study that also showed that the fintech industry in particular um, is attracting fewer women than men in terms of the, the use of fintechs. Um, do you think that, Makrata, um, do you think that there needs to be um, you know, additional policy measures to make, to ensure that financial services in the future remain inclusive? Uh, the world is moving in the right direction. Uh, a number of pieces of legislation in the past, especially on the composition of boards, uh, have helped to move the world in the right direction. And that we have to uh, keep um, with these kind of rules, especially at the level of boards, uh, much more difficult to uh, impossible actually to, uh, uh, to 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 have quotas uh, in the management uh, ranks of uh, of companies. But uh, um, uh, I see things happening. Uh, uh, examples and uh, emulation is, is 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 the main thing we can have to push in the right direction. Uh, we have a, a we, our board is chaired by a, by a very strong and capable woman, uh, 40%, and probably in the future more than uh, our board members are 
uh, in that direction. And uh, <laughs> the, 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 the salary gap, uh, the, the gender uh, compensation gap uh, has to be zero. And uh, we have to uh, expect from uh, fintechs first, but from all the players in the financial world to guarantee that uh, minimum condition for attracting uh, 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 both women and men uh, in, uh, in, in our world. When, as a minister, when I passed the bill on startups that made our country uh, much more friendly and that created in a few years more than uh, 10,000 uh, startups, uh, we had the special financial uh, support for companies created uh, by women. At the beginning, that is right. At a certain point, uh, you have to have uh, a level playing field uh, uh, without, uh, let's say, positive discrimination uh, for women. Tell us a little bit about what you think investors look for in the next fintech winner, given um, you know what you've been able to achieve so far. It's a very hot market and there's a lot of interest there. But I think um, the key themes is always uh, the same. You look for someone as an investor for uh, companies that in the end can get a very strong market position that have the tremendous potential to in a certain niche or area really become the category winner. So you need to have a, a large target addressable market and you need to have a certain type of entry barriers because if you have an attractive market, you can be for sure that competition will try to enter it from new players and established players. And you also need to have the right type of team to capture that opportunity. At least that's, I think, in my view, the, the, the key things that are consistent going on and showing the track record over that and then obviously you have continuous waves of hype of new technology towards that but yeah, currently there's a very good funding environment as we all see basically there's there's a very low interest environment so technology is one of the few items where you can still invest and get returns so that's why a lot of money is pouring into that and the valuations is really going up because um, there's so much scarcity for long positions in this companies and one one for you henrik perhaps uh, i mean it doesn't affect your day-to-day -day business but it does affect your, your your institution deutsche bank i mean do you think big tech are going to basically supersede traditional financial institutions and if if you know yes why or you know why do you think that is or, or why aren't they going after traditional finance uh well a existential question um so i think uh, i mean given the the sort of highly regulated nature of large parts of banking and it, it, banking is obviously a very broad topic right so you've got everything from retail banking to commercial banking to you know, investment banking where i work uh, you know it's large and complex and you know there's many competitors both you know from from the inside of the sector and, and outside and uh, you know i think banks will continue to have you know a role to play and um yeah, you know, one great example was that uh, you know during the COVID crisis, uh, you know, just uh, under a year ago, you know, a lot of companies really struggled as the econo economies got shut down, and so one of the things that uh, role banks played in that, which was in, in sharp contrast to the the Lehman crisis, was just to immediately pump out lots of liquidity uh, into those kind of companies, and you know this is sort of a core function for society that that banks fulfill. And uh, I think the sort of the grade for how we did that during the COVID crisis has, has been excellent. So it, it's just an example that you know, it's, it's probably too broad a question to answer. Of course, the business model will evolve, 
but uh, you know, banks like, exist for a reason for the transformation. And I think you know, for for the large tech companies, you know, the, so the Apples and and so on of this world and Google, you know, there's probably other things that they will find easier to compete in and, and create returns in than trying to replicate universal banking. I I I, I fully agree, and uh, um, the the the. the, the the winners take all kind of effect that we are suffering from uh, uh, is something that could be managed with uh, uh, legislation already available. Uh, the intrusion in uh, everyday people's life uh, uh, could be managed with uh, 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 present and available uh, pieces of legislation. So it's really a matter of, of political will. Uh, in terms of uh, pushing and uh, uh, and encouraging innovation, uh, uh, governments can make a lot. And uh, Europe, uh, also with the recovery fund uh, and with the measures that have been uh, uh, decided the last months, uh, can play a major role. Uh, we have to support in a major way companies, big, small, medium-sized uh, 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 startups that invest uh, in innovation and trigger uh, through innovation, a new phase of growth, because without uh, sustained and the sustainable growth, uh, the, 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 the social problems, even more than the economic problems uh, we are facing, could not be solved. Um, what is the role of digital currency going to play? And, you know, does it make a lot, you know, does it make banks obsolete? And how do we see digital currency being adopted by central banks? Bastian, perhaps you can take it first and, and then we'll move on to the others. I think the digital currency is obviously a very, very valuable addition to the mix, and there is uh, value uh, use cases. Also, for example, if in a privacy-enhanced manner and also in certain type of transactions, they can also yeah, really enable new business models. I don't think they will make traditional banks go away because there's still like a lot of services they are providing. I think it's like with any innovation, it will probably like help in the end to shape that better with for consumers. Nonetheless, I think we have to look into yeah, how to yeah, make them usable in the right way. Obviously, there's high uh, value fluctuations, which currently makes it difficult for to use a currency because a currency that fluctuates very much is not, it's good for speculating or in, like trading, but not very good to run a business off. But I'm excited about them. I think it's a big potential, but it will take a bit more to really settle in and use in different use cases and will be part of the, the pay mix going forward. But I think what, what's actually very exciting is distributed ledger technology in, in general, uh, because there's lots of inefficiencies in, in banking, which, which can be made simpler and, and you know, cheaper uh, you know, with using distributed ledger. Um, I, I think um, you know, maybe it's, it's more of a topic for your, your central bank panel, but you know, digital central bank money is, is I think, coming and, and also super interesting. I think cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, likes of Bitcoin and so on, you know, it's it's really acting as a as a speculation product, and you know, we can argue, you know, what's better, Bitcoin or gold? I mean, both, you know, in a way, have have limited uh, applications uh, in you know to real life. Um, so I think it's it's an interesting store of value. I think it uh, it really enables some technology change. But I think it, rather than the individual cryptocurrencies, I think it's the uh, just a thought process that you know, we we don't we can have a, a centrally easily accessible uh, record of who owns what, 
And, and that I think is going to revolutionize parts of finance. Digital currencies uh, will certainly be part of our future. Uh, actually, cryptocurrencies, uh, hopefully, at least in my opinion, will not. Uh, I look forward to pay uh, digital euro, digital renminbi, digital dollars, but I strongly believe that uh, uh, national or supranational currencies cannot be privatized. Uh, I think that cryptocurrencies an as an artificial asset uh, uh, of investment uh, reminds me uh, uh, much uh, the uh, tulip mania uh, of the 17th century. Uh, and uh, so in, in that respect, uh, uh, I'm, I'm very much uh, against uh, what is happening. Uh, um, as far as uh, distributed ledger technologies, uh, no problem. In fact, I agree with uh, what Eric was saying, but uh, let's not forget that, that currency is one of the last uh, uh, pillars of uh, uh, the way our uh, societies are. Uh, designed around and probably our democracies uh, uh, can be defended. That was such an interesting discussion. Finance is clearly changing rapidly and as big data becomes more prominent and new innovations such as blockchain enter the market, this tide will continue to shift. We were really grateful for all the panelists for their attendance at WES 2021. Share your thoughts on this topic by using the hashtag WestPod on our social media like Twitter and Facebook to keep the discussion going. Next week, we bring you a discussion with the greatest female chess player of all time. She will discuss strategy and competition as well as the Queen's Gambit. Join us then as we continue to challenge perspectives on WestPod. The Warwick Economic Summit. The Warwick Economic Summit. Warwick Economic Summit.